You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey guys, how you doing? We're going to be in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. And as we dive into um, these verses this week, into verses 22 through 30, we're going to see a couple of things. Um, and, and as I studied out this week, I, I was thinking um, just about, and this is the holidays, so I think I probably kind of do this a little bit over the holidays. I know that many of you probably do too, because this is a, you know, it's an opportunity um, over Christmas and over New Year's, over Thanksgiving, to uh, spend time with family. And, and so I know that if you're like me, um, you probably sometimes think about what your family is like. And sometimes that can be good, and sometimes that can be bad. And I know, uh, I know for me, uh, growing up in probably what would have been typified as a, a broken home and a real difficult home, um, when I think of the concept of family, um, sometimes I have good things I think about. Sometimes it can be very painful as well. Um, I imagine that for some of you, uh, if you've grown up in, in a home as you were a child, um, even if your parents tried to do the best that they could possibly do, Maybe you had some painful experiences growing up, and so then the holidays, as they come around, cause you to maybe think about some of that. And so sometimes what I think happens for us is we, uh, we maybe have a tendency to feel like we're kind of on the outside looking in, especially when you think about Christianity, when you think about uh, the family of Jesus, when you think about the church, there can be a sense on where you feel like you're maybe on the outside looking in, and maybe where there's no place for you. And I think what Jesus would want to say to us from the scriptures is this, simply that the door is open and that he is there. Like the door is open and God is continuing to extend an invitation to each and every one of us to become part of the family. Like the dinner table is ready for us to come sit down with him and to feast with him and to join the family of God. That, that's, that's the, really, if you look at the scriptures from beginning to end, this is like the one single invitation that is being extended to every one of us by the power of the spirit, the message of the gospel, the cross of Christ. It's this message that we're being invited into the family of God, whereby we can then sit at the table in the household of God and and feast in in, in the presence of our Father and become part of his family. We're, We're no longer outsiders. We're, in fact, because of the cross of Christ and because of our belief in Jesus Christ, And because of this, even you think about this Christmas season, as we think about Jesus coming in a manger as a little baby, what's really happening for us is we're getting this invitation to come and become part of the family. But I know that for for some of us, that can be really hard to imagine. I'm certain that some of you are a lot like me. When you envision the door to the home that you grew up in, maybe it's characterized as a swinging door where you saw one parent leaving or another leaving or many people coming in to take advantage of you or advantage of your family. Maybe when you think of what it means to be a part of family and you envision uh, maybe one or more of your parents, kind of like the masters of the home, so to speak, uh, maybe they were either absent or overbearing or abusive. Maybe when you envision the dinner table in your childhood, maybe, maybe what you see at the dinner table or at the table in your childhood home growing up, maybe it wasn't always the healthiest version of good and godly parents. I imagine that many of you hearing the depiction of that struggle in family can identify 
of what it feels like not to be desired or not to be wanted and to grow up with that kind of a feeling and then to struggle to always feel like maybe you just don't fit in. Like maybe even if you made it into the house of God, maybe you'd be relegated over to like the kids' table in the back room rather than with all the other important people. I think that's a portion of the reason why this text is so important for us today. Look at Luke 22 through 30. Luke says, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, where those who are saved be few. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And when once the master of the house is risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. People will come from east and west, from north and south. And recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Charles Spurgeon commenting on this passage said this. He said that this passage is not a legal demand, but instead it's a gospel exhortation. In other words, in this passage of scripture, it's as though what I said earlier. It's as though this is a gospel invitation to become part of the family of God. Jesus, what he does in this text as he gives us this gospel invitation is he, he does it by using three distinct images. And, and the first image is the image of the door. The second image is the image of the master. And the third image is the, the image of the table. And again, it's as though the Lord is saying in our midst, speaking through his word, through these three images of what I hope to unpack for you the most and what I pray the Holy Spirit will impress on all of our hearts here is this. That even though, even though we may feel like we're on the outside looking in at times, the reality is this, that through Christ, the door is open. God is waiting for you and I to just walk through that door. The dinner table is ready for us to sit down and feast with him. And the invitation is for us to come and join the family because of what Christ has done. So in verses 22 through 24, we see this image of the door. Luke begins in verse 22 by telling us that Jesus is making his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. If we remember what we've been studying so far, we remember that Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem where, where he will endure much hardship as he makes his way towards the cross so that he can become a ransom and a salvation for others, a ransom and a salvation for sinners who turn to him in faith. And as he makes his way towards his impending death, I mean, you think about this, when you and I take a trip, we don't take trips so that we can die, we take trips so we can have fun. Jesus is taking a trip towards Jerusalem so that he can face much suffering and hardship. And, and he's, as he's traveling, as he continues this journey, he continues to run into people who begin to ask him questions, typically uh, hot topic, hot button types of issues in terms of 
religion. And he uses these moments when people ask him these questions as teachable moments to continue extending this invitation for them to become part of the family of God. Verse 23, someone asks Jesus a question. This person asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord, will those who are saved be few? This is a real interesting question. Will those who are saved be few? This was, a, this was a hot topic, hot button issue within the religious circles of Jesus' day because most religious circles taught that, that only a few people would be saved, which then basically led to everyone wondering about who would be part of the family and who would be not, who would be in the household of God and who would be on the outside of the household of God. And then from there, it would create all these debates about what one must do to get on the guest list to be invited over for the party. Jesus' answer to the, to the question that this, this person asks is, is really interesting because his answer, if you look back at it in, in like verse 24, his answer really isn't a direct answer, but instead it's a redirection. It's a redirection. In other words, Jesus redirects our attention from our impersonal questions about theology, which is something that many Christians love to do. One of the biggest questions I tend to give from people is, can you lose your salvation or can you not? And I typically just want to ask the question, hey, are you actually saved? Like that's more important than can you lose it or can you not? Though I definitely land somewhere on the theological question, the reality for us as people is it's much easier for us to land on impersonal theological questions where we get to know things about God rather than landing on personal questions where we actually get to know God. That's what Jesus is doing in this portion of the text is he's redirecting our attention from this impersonal question about how many other people will get saved to a very personal statement. The personal statement that he makes is this. He basically says you better do everything you can to make sure that you're saved. Remember, one of the big overriding themes of the Gospel of Luke is for us to be sure or for us to be certain that we would know God and know who he is, know Jesus, know who he is, and know his powerful work in our hearts and in our lives. And so when Jesus makes this statement, as Luke records it, he is recording it in a way that helps us to say, hey, can I be certain that I am saved? Do I know if I've been redeemed? Do I know that I know that I know Jesus? You better do everything you can to make sure you're saved. This is basically what Jesus is saying in response. Notice what Jesus says in verse 24. He says it this way. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, when I read that text, I get a little bit of fear deep down inside, right? Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek but will not be able. That's a scary thought if you think about the way that Jesus says this. Jesus uses this image of the door in this passage, in this place, to help us understand that there is only one way into the family of God. And we must strive to walk through that door. This word for strive in the Greek actually means to agonize. I think it's the word agonosio or something along those lines. It means to agonize, to clench really hard, to, to strive, to work, to, to, to take 
active steps towards. It's to agonize. It's the same word that is often used uh, in, the, in the hard and agonizing work of an athlete. Any of you ever uh, been in athletics or love to watch football? Man, I watched like 50,000 bowl games over the last couple of weeks, and most of them were complete upsets and felt like they were stupid to watch. But you watch these guys playing these games, and they're, they're in agonizing, striving towards the goal line to reach the goal line to make sure they try to win the goal, the prize, right, of winning that bowl game. It's the same word that is being used here, strive or agonize. Jesus is simply saying that we must be more concerned about our own agonizing journey of salvation as we strive to enter through the right door into the family of God. Even points out that many people will seek. Many people will seek to enter, but as far as it depends upon us, as far as it depends upon you, and as far as it depends upon me, it is most important that we strive or agonize to enter through the door that he describes as narrow. For us heavier set guys, we read that and we go, crap, narrow, right? What does that mean? I turn sideways to get through the door? What does that mean? It brings to mind and it brings to memory other places in the Gospels where Jesus says similar things like, hey, it's a narrow road that you must walk and very few will walk down. There's a, there's a path that's really wide and, and there's a whole crap ton of people that'll walk down that path and it leads to destruction. But the few who walk down that narrow path, they are the ones who actually taste eternal life, right? Brings to mind maybe that text for us. This teaches us that this, that this door into the family of God is singular and it's difficult to get through. I want you to think about this. Like in our culture today, it is popular to believe and to think that, that any religious road that you can possibly create or that you can possibly get on will actually lead to heaven. This is something called pluralism. It's the pluralistic concept or idea that there are multiple roads, multiple doors, multiple, multiple ways to get to God. This is the concept of pluralism. Another popular belief in our culture is that everyone will eventually be saved regardless of his or her religious position because God is a loving God and therefore must save everyone. This is a common position that is that is uh, preached and taught by people who claim to be Christian, even um, pastors will preach and teach us that everyone will eventually be won by God's love out of hell and into heaven. And to that, I would say, then, then why the heck should I live like I want to go to heaven now if God's going to eventually just save me out of the hell I'm at it to? I just live however I want, and eventually God will get me out of there. I, I don't mind paying some consequences, right? right? It leads to a real false misunderstanding of the gospel, and what that's called is universalism. So you got pluralism and universalism, pluralism being the multiple doors in a hallway, universalism being um, that everybody gets saved someday, regardless of what you think, say, do, or believe. <clears throat> Another popular belief in our culture um, that I think that a lot of us have a tendency to get infected with is uh, something called universalism. Not universal, I just talked about that, humanism, sorry. Humanism, the idea that, that you and I hold the power deep within us to create our own uh, existence, so to speak, that we can create 
our ends, that we, that we have a hand in that and have a part of it, that we actually have the, the power to save ourselves and that we can ultimately create like a sense of utopia or heaven for ourselves. This is called humanism. This is looking to within because you and I have the power to create that. These are three common belief systems that we unknowingly at times buy into. But in biblical Christianity, we learn just the opposite. Biblical Christianity, what I think Jesus is teaching in this passage, is something completely different than those three concepts that we often run into. We learn that in Christianity that the the way to gain access into the family of God is not pluralistic, it's singular. There's one door. His name is Jesus, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. You have to rape and pillage that passage up one side and down the other to make it mean something that it does not actually say. If you're going to believe one of these other concepts, gain the family of God. So we learn that to gain access in the family of God, it is singular, it is limited, and it is self-denying. Jesus teaches us here through this image of the door that there is actually only one door and it is difficult to get into, so we must not just sit back lazily seeking some sort of grand, self-actuated utopia We must instead labor and agonize to get through the door. In our culture, it seems as though there are many options to get to God, like I said earlier, like almost as though you're standing in a hallway, a long hallway with multiple doorways that you can pick and choose from. And so so oftentimes when we read a passage like this or we think about heaven, we think about God, people in our culture are thinking, hey, what door am I supposed to choose then with all of these different options? There are hundreds of religious opportunities out there, and the question for us often becomes, then what is the right door to choose? And when it comes to this concept of door and when Jesus uses this term, what does Jesus actually mean? What's he talking about when he uses this image of the door? I think the best thing that we can do is try to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. And so John chapter 10, verses 7 through 11 says this. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Catch that. I am the door of the sheep. You might catch on the next slide on the PowerPoint. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The image of the door that Jesus uses here, not only in Luke 13, but also in in John chapter 10, is is that invitation once again to become part of the family of God. And I think the only way that we can do that is by entering through the door, which is Christ. He says, I am the door. Same speaker, same preacher, Jesus, using this same term to describe himself as the only way to get into relationship with God. So the question for us is not how many will be saved or who will actually be saved. The question for us to wrestle with is this, am I saved? That's the question you and I must wrestle with. Questions that kind of come out of that look like this, like have I come to grips with my sinfulness and my neediness for Christ? Do I understand that many people are seeking God? to truly become part of his family, I must agonize or strive 
to enter through the right door, which is Christ. Now listen closely. This does not mean that I would ever preach and that the scriptures would ever teach that you or I must work to gain our salvation. It's not what this is teaching. It just simply means that you and I cannot passively sit back and stare at the stars and be like, kumbaya, till Jesus comes back. This really means that for you and I, this road that we walk out as Christians is hard and it will be agonized and it will be a journey. If it was for Jesus, we should expect nothing less. You can ask these questions. Do I understand my helplessness and my hopelessness without Christ? Am I attempting to become part of God's family by trusting in broken religious systems created by broken people? Am I playing games with God? Am I playing like the part of a good Christian on Sunday while clinging to my simple patterns throughout the week? Like my understanding of this text is that as the Lord speaks this in our midst, what he's saying is simply this, that through Christ the door is open. Through Christ the door is open. As if, as if God were saying this to you right now, it would be as though he would say, through Christ the door is open. I am waiting for you. The table is ready. Come and join the family. Which leads us to ask this one single question of our hearts. Am I part of the family of God? Verses 25 through 28, we move on from the image of the door and we see the image of the master. Jesus teaches us in verses 25 through 27 that there will come a time. There will come a time when the master of the house will shut the door. The master of the house will shut the door and there will be some people who will stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. The master of the house will answer saying, I do not know where you come from. And even though many of these people will say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets, still the master of the house will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Jesus draws this really sharp distinction in verse 28 between those people who have walked through the door, which is Christ, and those people who have not but have actually instead chosen to live their lives in evil wickedness apart from God. And he explains that the only alternative to walking through the door, which is Christ, is, is then living in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. This portion of our text, once again, is like a sobering reality for us to, to wrestle with and to grapple with and to, to understand as we think about the image of the master of the house because it teaches us that it is possible to think that we are saved because we've been around the teachings of Jesus or because we've experienced fellowship with his body, which is the church, but in reality, we've never actually walked through that door into the household full of other people who have authentically found salvation in Christ. Christ is the only door to the master's house. The only door to the master's house. My hope that there, is, that there would be none of us here that would be left on the outside looking in that each of us would, would all continue to receive opportunities to ask this question of our hearts. Am I saved? Am I part of the family of God? 
I always hope to lay before you this singular question because I find it to be one of the most important questions of scriptures. I definitely want all of us to have an assurance that when Christ does a work in us, it's finished and it's complete and nothing can separate us. There is nothing to fear. Agree wholeheartedly with the text that Eric read earlier. I think it fits well. We need to have assurance. Yet there is a, like a counterbalance to this as well, that we not get lazy in the way that we follow Jesus. And that we never forget that following Jesus is a deeply personal experience in community. It's personal in that you and I must be asking questions of our own hearts and lives about our salvific experience. Paul makes it clear in other places of scripture as well that we must walk out our salvation in fear and trembling daily. It doesn't mean you work and strive to earn it. It means you work to work it out. <coughs> so I never want any of us to be in that place of separation from all that is good and godly. I never want any of us to wind up there. Jesus makes it clear that in that place of separation from all that is good and godly, what will happen is we will wind up grinding our teeth out of frustration. And we will weep because everything that is good is actually inside the house of the family of God in the presence of God, which is embodied in the person and the work and the fellowship of Christ Jesus himself. And when Jesus says that the, that the master of the house will say, I do not know where you come from, he actually says it twice. He says it twice in verses 25 to 27. And then when you read this, I, I'm reminded, we should all be reminded always when we read things twice to pay attention to things that are repeated, right? Another way to say what is being said twice in this text would be to say it this way. It would be to say, I never knew you, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you, I never knew you. In other words, the only way to know the master of the house of God's family is to know Christ and to be known by Christ. Outside of knowing Christ and being known by Christ, there is no hope whatsoever. You and I would be completely hopeless and completely helpless outside of knowing Christ. question is, do you know Christ today? Do you actually know him? The question is not, do you know about Christ? The question is, do you know Christ? There are many people who, knowing a lot about Jesus, will wind up, I think, in the fiery pits of hell, according to this text. Many people that were present when Jesus taught, heard the words, saw the miracles, and thought because of that experience, they were on a quick ride to heaven. But the reality is that many of them would be separated from God according to this text. So the question is not, do you know about Christ? The question is, do you know Christ? Do you know him intimately? Do you know him intimately? And does he know you intimately? Do you long to spend time with Jesus through his word? Do you have like a deep desire to know Jesus personally? Do you, do you hunger to be with Jesus' wife, the church, so that you can share in the blessings of unified fellowship and, and relational communion? 
Like, is your prayer life all completely centered on you or others, or is it centered on hearing and knowing Jesus as the Savior of your soul and the, and the door to eternal life? Does, does, the, does the cross of Christ, does the cross of Christ, which makes salvation possible for you and for I, does, does that occupy the center of your prayer life? Are you growing in an intimate relationship with Jesus? Would Jesus say this? Would he say this about you? Would he say, I know you, I know you? Or would he say, I never knew you, I never knew you, depart from me? I believe the Lord is speaking one singular message to this text in our midst. And it's as I've already said, through Christ, the door is open. God is waiting for you. The dinner table is ready. Come and join the family. The question is, are you part of the family of God? As we move in to verses 29 and 30, we see the image of the table. Jesus uses this image of the table like in these final verses as kind of like a, a final invitation to us to join the family of God. And Jesus makes it very clear in verse 29 that there will be people who come from all over the place, from, from, from east and west and from north and south to join the family of God and recline at table in the kingdom of God. But Jesus also makes it equally clear in verse 30 that there will be some people who think they are lost or who think they are last who will actually be first. So there's two groups of people. There's, there's this wide group of people from all over the place and, and, and then there is also these groups of people, some who actually think they'll be first, but they'll actually be last, and some who think they'll be last who will actually wind up being first. These final verses aren't meant to be some sort of like pithy statement on who gets to eat first or last at the church banquet. They are, they are meant to be an invitation to join the feast at the table in the kingdom of the household of God with other people from different tribes, tons, and nations. These final verses are also a solemn warning to us as we read them. It's a solemn warning to us that, that some people who think they already occupy a spot at the table don't, in reality, actually know God at all. In our culture, it's popular to say that Christianity is narrow-minded and exclusive. And the reality is that biblically, the gospel is both narrowly exclusive and widely inclusive. There are some who will be excluded from the blessings of being part of the family of God, while there will also be others from every ethnic background who are included at the banquet table in the household of the family of God. The gospel is both and. It is both narrowly exclusive and widely inclusive. There will be many from all over the world who, who are able to and who will actually occupy a space and a spot at the table. This is great news for you and I because it lets you and I know that there is a way that, is, that we can be widely included into the kingdom, but that there should also be a warning that there is a way that we can all be excluded as well. We miss the narrow path or miss that narrow door, miss that invitation and don't respond and don't surrender. I wouldn't want any of us to walk around deceived. I would want all of us to hear this invitation from Christ to, to walk through the door, to believe upon him, to trust in him for salvation, to, to no longer trust in like our own efforts and our own work, but to actually give agonizing effort to know Christ, to enter into that household and feast at the table with God. And there are some of us here 
I believe, who are hearing this message and we're super uncomfortable. A couple of reasons that we're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable because we don't feel like we could ever earn a spot at the table in the household of the family of God. I chose those words intentionally. We feel uncomfortable because we don't feel like we can earn that spot at the table. And that uncomfortable feeling that you're feeling in these moments is an indicator maybe of where your heart is. Because as you and I wrestle and grapple with the the concept and the truth that you and I can't earn a place at the table, we're actually set free from our sinful striving and sinful agonizing, and we're set free to agonize and strive in a godly way, which means to just simply trust. Sounds simple. There's a lot of hard, agonizing work in trusting and having faith. I've been reading a book by Charles Spurgeon. Probably mentioned him too much. You guys are probably tired of getting tired of hearing about him. I've been reading a book um, uh, about his, his depression, his sorrows. And uh, reading that because it's been doing a lot of good for my heart. You guys know that I wrestle with an awful lot of weird, just like depressive moments and things like that. And, and, and it set me free to read and to hear that even Spurgeon at times questioned, God, could you really love me? God, am I really part of your family? He really seriously wrestled. And we know Spurgeon, if you do any type of uh, research on who Spurgeon is, is known as the Prince of Preachers, one of the greatest preachers of all time. He pastored probably like what you might call one of some of the first megachurches, so to speak. They struggled with depression in such heavy ways that he actually questioned God's presence in his life. You think of Mother Teresa as well. Think of Mother Teresa who did a ton of work in, with kids, right? There's a movie that came out about her recently that kind of chronicles some of the letters that she had written about her struggle on the spiritual side, her struggle in spiritual growth, and her sense that maybe God was far from her. I think we all have those moments where we can struggle in these ways, struggling to wonder, to believe that maybe we have a spot at the table. This is that sense of being last. That's part of the reason we may feel uncomfortable, but there is a way that we can be set free to joyously pursue Christ and to pursue him, to know him. And yet then there may be another group of us that are here that feel uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable because something in this text and something in God's word and something in this message is striking that prideful nerve. Maybe for you, it's because you, you grew up. You grew up in Sunday school. You grew up in church. You, you grew up hearing the word. You, you grew up hearing all these things or you've been made part of a church for a long, long time and somehow you've been placing all of your security in that And what's happening in these moments is maybe Jesus is kind of ripping all of that security away. And the good news in that is he wants to place your eternal security that you have squarely in himself. Jesus himself is the extended invitation for you and I to enter through the door, which is Christ, and to sit at the banquet table and to literally daily feast upon Christ, who is our salvation and our sustenance. There's there's nothing else which will sustain you and I. We look everywhere else for our sustenance, to sustain ourselves. We, We look to sinful things like pornography and lust and money and our jobs and significant others, and we look in all sorts of places to find our comfort and to find our sustenance, to sustain us, and what we find is all those things will go away. All those things don't lead to the happiness and the joy that a Christian finds in 
Christ because there is nothing that you or I could feast ourselves upon that would lead to any eternal significance or happiness other than Christ himself. The door is open. The table is set. God is inviting you and I once again to continue coming through that door which is Christ, to continue believing him, to continue having faith in him, to continue trusting him and to sit at the table with our Father in heaven and to join the family of God. As I begin to wrap up our message for this evening, I'll invite our music team to come back up. As I bring our, our message to a close, and I want to extend like one more invitation to all of us that are gathered here. And that's this invitation to, to respond to this message by engaging in yet another feast in the household of God. This ties so well to communion for us. As we engage in this other feast called communion, as we participate in this communion table together as a family that is united in Christ, what we are actually doing here, again, as I said a few other times, that we are actually rehearsing what Jesus in our text has been describing for us. We're rehearsing this visibly as a church family. What a great, what a great testament, what a great story to, to those who may be among us who are unbelievers and who do not yet know Christ. What, what a great way to embody Christ to others. What a great way for us to rehearse the gospel. What, what a great way for us to be reminded, to be reminded that the door is open. God is waiting inside that door and saying, hey, come, come and spend time with me. The table's set, ready to have a feast with you. I wanna sit, I wanna listen to you, I wanna hear from you. I want you to be a part of my family. What a great message. What a great message to rehearse as we look at the communion table. Again, like this text for me, like gives me deep, deep joy. It gives me deep hope. Maybe not all of you here come from a, a really broken past like mine, where, where your dad wasn't there. And so maybe you haven't necessarily tasted that. Maybe some of you have. But maybe you, some of you have just lost a loved one who, who is no longer present there at that table. And so this concept of family it's difficult and hard for you. And there is healing at the table when you come into Christ's presence. Like those wounds from your past, those wounds from your life, there's healing there. And I, I don't know how else to say it other than to simply say, like, there, there is nowhere else that you or I could look to, to find that healing. I, I've tried it all, I think. I know many of you have too. There is no relationship that can soothe that pain. There is, no, there, there is no amount of accomplishing great things that can soothe the hurt deep down inside. There, 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 is, no, there is no way. You, you, can, you can search everywhere. There is no drug. There, there's no alcoholic drink. There is nothing that can change you than Christ himself. And that's why when we see Jesus as the door 
to our Father's house. And when we see the Father's house as being one home with one doorway in, and instead of multiple doorways in, then, then we can be really assured that when we've trusted and believed upon Christ, then we are actually seated at that banquet table. And our Father is just sitting there, and it's as though He's singing songs over you and I like songs of joy because he takes pleasure in you being there. He wanted you to be there so much so that he gave his only son. He paid the ultimate price that you and I could never pay so that we could then sit at that table and be refreshed and be renewed and be transformed and be changed and be healed. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that you or I could ever get to that table in the first place right? Because there's nothing about you or I that is so worthy that we could get there on our own. We would be just like these people in the text all the time, always saying, hey, uh, look at everything I know. Like, look at all the books I read. Oh, look at the cool church I'm part of, or look at the pastor that I know, or we'd be looking at all these things that have no saving power if it weren't for Christ speaking to us waking us up from our dead sleep. So if there are some of you here that you don't know Christ, maybe you've placed your hope in false religion or false Christs or false gospels, you've been trying to save yourself in many different ways, and my prayer and my hope is maybe this would be that moment where you, God would just wake you up and you would say, you know what, I knew a lot about Christ, but today I know him. I knew a lot about, I've heard a lot of things about Jesus, but today he spoke to me. I heard him myself. I learned that he is the door to the Father whereby I receive full pardon, full healing, full miraculous transformation and change. And from this point forward, I'm just going to strive and, and agonize to follow him and, and to continue walking through that door. I'm, I'm going to cling to my Jesus in heaven who is the master commander of the ship of my life. And I'm just going to sit at that table and just bask in the Father's love. That's my hope. If you're with us tonight and you've not yet walked through that door, which is Christ, and if, if, if in these moments you're still not sure that you should or not, then, then we would invite you not to come and engage in communion with us here in a few moments. We, we don't want you to participate in that simply because we don't want you to place your hope in some dead religious activity that means nothing to you. But if that moment is now, if that moment is now where Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is, is waking your dead heart up, and he's waking up and he's pointing out to you your need for Christ, and, and with, if before this point you said, you know, I didn't know Christ, but in this moment you're, you're hearing from Jesus and you're saying, I need Jesus, I, I need my Savior, I want to call him mine, and I want him to call me his, I want to be the possession of God's, I want to be owned by him. If that's you, if that, that's the place you're in in these moments, then, then we would invite you to come in the next few moments. Again, the Lord is speaking to you and I through this text, and he's saying simply this. Through Christ, the door is open. I'm here. I'm your daddy. I'm waiting for you. The dinner table is ready. Come and join the family of God. Just stand with me and we'll pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach this message to your people tonight. Lord, I do pray that you would use it to not only encourage, but 
also to save people. But I pray for all who are here, and I pray, God, that you would just do like just a, a real deep work of encouragement. Give us a sense of security in you, knowing that once you have saved us, there is nothing that can separate us from your love. That once we have moved from being outside the house to being inside the house, that we, uh, that, that we have then moved from being objects of wrath to becoming objects of your deep love. Help us to understand the depths and the height and the width of your love, O oh Lord, which, which in my understanding was written into the pages of history since long before the foundations of the earth were even thought of. So God, you're such a good dad to have thought of us then and to have placed into a motion a plan of salvation whereby we could be redeemed to become part of your family. So Lord, thank you for the image of the door, the image of the master, and the image of the table. Thank you for this invitation tonight, Lord God, to just continue to see that door wide open and to see our Father who loves us a ton sitting at a table with a feast laid out so that we might just come and sit with you and be with you and just be in your presence. I ask that you would heal our hearts tonight and that you would just bring a ton of encouragement to our lives. Lord, I pray that, trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? And there will be a few here uh, near the front to serve the communion elements to you. I invite you to come. Uh, there will also be a few of us here to pray for you if you have any needs. Uh, thanks for letting me preach tonight. I love you guys a lot. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.